Um, so we're in the series called Life Healing Choices, and based on the Beatitudes from Matthew chapter 5, and uh, it's kind of the foundation of the Celebrate Recovery Ministry. And uh, we've talked about the reality choice, uh, and that is admitting that God is God and that you're not, and that you don't have the power to fix your brokenness. The second one was the hope choice, and that we believe that God exists. Not only that God is, but God exists, and that he has the power to heal me, and he is ready and able and willing to heal my brokenness. Um, Today we're going to talk about the uh, commitment choice, committing our, our lives to, to uh, God and to Jesus. And so uh, this is based on the uh, third of the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And we sometimes I think we equate meekness with weakness, but it's not. Uh, meekness the, um, is described as strength being under control. And the Bible says about Moses that Moses was the meekest man on earth. Of course, Moses wrote that about himself. Um, but, uh, no, honestly, the Holy Spirit wrote that. Um, but as we think about, you know, the commitment choice, the choice uh, I want you to think about this scripture right here from Matthew eleven twenty eight, And he says, Jesus says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me and get away with me and you'll recover your life. Now, you hear that? Now, at the light, you know, we focus a lot on this because, you know, we just really believe that, that Jesus' constant clash was with religious leaders and that our life as Christians is not about church, it's not about religion, it's not about denominations. We're not, you know, we're not slamming any denominations, but we're just saying that your life and your commitment uh, to God is not about a church, it is about a relationship. And so I'm going to read that scripture again because I want you to hear it, you know, with that in mind, that, you know, having not a religion that you rely on, but having a relationship that you rely on. And Jesus said, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out on religion? Then come to me and get away with me and you will recover your life. And I believe that that's what the Lord wants in all of us today. He wants us to recover our life. That, you know, that we are here today as broken people that God's trying to fix and mend and put back together. And uh, he will do it if we will allow him. I noticed that in my own life, you know, a lot of times when life is really good, I mean, you know, think about your own life. I mean, when your bills are paid and your relationship with your wife is good and, you know, things are just running really smooth in, in, in your life, a lot of times we have a tendency to put God on the back burner it's just like, okay, God, I, I'm, 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 I've got it. I'm on my own now. And then all of a sudden, you know, you just hit the wall. And it's like, okay, God, I need you. Every step of the way, every day that we wake up, we need God. I mean, you can't, we can't make it on our own. And, and God's just waiting for us to call out to him. And David, you know, he constantly said this. He'd wake up and he'd say, Lord, show me someone that I can show kindness to today. If you wake up with that kind of attitude... Lord, here I am. I'm available. I want you to use me. Show me who I can show kindness to today. Uh, show me who I can minister to, to today. I promise you that like Jesus in, with that encounter with the woman at the well, when all the disciples were gone, it was just Jesus and that woman. I promise you that God will put you in situations like that where it's just you and someone else that needs a word of hope, a word of encouragement, and a word of life. 
And that's why God has put you here. He's put, not just so you can attend church every Sunday morning and walk away feeling good or maybe feeling bad, thinking, man, why do I waste my time even coming? You know, I hope you don't leave that way. I hope you, you know, leave this place fired up and pumped up, and it's like, God, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. You, you remember from Isaiah chapter 6, you know, uh, Isaiah, you know, he's the prophet of the nation. This is the prophet of the nation. And he's having this conversation with God. And, and things are not good. I mean, the religion, Israel's religion, is, is just kind of like in a slump. And, and they've started following other gods, and they've turned their back on the one true God. And, and all of a sudden, you know, it, the Scripture says that Isaiah sees God. He sees God in the temple, just kind of like John you know, in, in, in the book of Revelation, it says, there was a voice that says, come up here. And, and John comes up, all of a sudden he finds himself in heaven. And he sees God sitting on the throne and the Lamb sitting next to him. And he sees all of the elders and he sees angels and multitudes upon multitudes. And I'm telling you, he is blown away. And Isaiah is the same way in Isaiah chapter 6. You know, he sees God and, and, and there's like, you know, he sees this cloud of glory that's in heaven. And he sees, you know, angels. He sees seraphim and, and uh, you know, he sees all of these angels there in heaven. And, I mean, he is just like, man, he is like on his face, you know. And then he begins to see how holy God is. And then he sees how unholy he is. And he says, whoa. Woe, woe to me, woe to me. I'm a man. Now think about this. This is one of this is the greatest prophet in the nation at that time. I, you know, Isaiah, the, the great prophet. And he says, God, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And essentially what he was saying is that I'm a sinner. And all of us, the entire nation, we're all sinners. And God, we need you. And then it said one of the angels went over to a pot or a bowl that was full of fire and took a hot coal and came over and touched Isaiah's lips. And boom, he was, in, he was a changed person. And that's what happens to you and I when we come to Jesus. We are changed people. We're no longer the same. And then there's a question in heaven. And God says, I've got some work that needs to be done. Who will I send? You know the first one to respond? It was Isaiah. He's all, God, here I am. Send me. I want to go. Let me go. I want to go. Let me go. And see, that's the way that we should, well, that's the way that we should be all the time. I mean, when you've been touched by God, when you've been touched by the presence of God, when you've seen the glory of God, when you worship God like we worship God this morning. By the way, great job, worship team, and you guys in the sound booth. You know, excellent job, excellent job. I just can't thank you enough. And so, um, so we talk about this commitment choice. And so there, there, I want to just tell you, that as I talked about this morning, there's an enemy. We have an enemy of our soul that will do everything that he can do to stop you from following God. You know, I mean, God loves you and he wants you and he demonstrated his love to us while we were still sinners, that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. It says, but, but the, the enemy will do everything that he can to hinder you from fulfilling God's will and God's purpose in your life. 
And there are five barriers to commitment. You want to commit your life to God? Or here comes five things that are going to come at you. Just boom, 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 boom. You know, they're going to, these things are going to come at you to try to keep you, uh, you know, you know, I've said this before, and maybe you're tired of hearing it by now, but if the devil cannot keep you in, in the camp of darkness, if he can't keep you where you're not saved, if he can't keep you where you're not a believer, then the next step for him is to keep you where you're ineffective, where, where God just can't use you. You become so worldly that you, could, you just don't care about the things of God that God is on the back burner of your life and that you are first and everything that you do in life is about you. That life is all about you and what you do and where you live and how you live and what you drive and how much money you have and what your bank account looks like and who, who you're dating or you know who you're married to, what your status in society is. Those are the things that, that, you know, that worldly or carnal Christians focus on. But the other kind, yeah, Paul talks about it, he talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 when he talks about uh, 6 and 7 when he talks about a man and a woman. And he says that I would that you would remain unmarried, that you would be just like me. Because when you're unmarried, you're devoted, you're wholly devoted to the Lord. He said, but the married man and the married woman, you know, they, they consider one another. They love one another and they spend their time with one another. And Paul is saying, you know, if it's possible, and I know that in this age that's almost impossible, but with a few, it is possible. With God, all things are possible. Amen? So we see the first barrier that, uh, that the enemy is going to throw at you. And it's the first, I mean, it's the first, it, it lists all of the top of sins because it was Satan's sin. And it was Satan that caused Adam and Eve to fall in the garden. And that first one is pride. And pride will keep you from admitting that you need God's help. Listen to this. You've heard this. You know, I mean, you've heard people sing about it. Different, different uh, rock and roll bands, the Beatles sing about it, that, uh, that pride comes before a fall, uh, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 12. But listen to this in another translation. Pride first, and then the crash. Pride first, and then the crash. But humility is a precursor to honor. Arrogant people are on their way to ruin. Same, same uh, verse, different translation. Arrogant people are on their way to ruin. And then it says that the wise man is glad to be instructed, but a self-sufficient fool falls flat on his face. Those are proud people. That's the person that says, I don't need God. And that's what repentance really is. When you first, I mean the first step, the first, the first step of you coming to God, you've heard the message of Jesus and John the Baptist is repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And what that really means is that you thought you had life all figured out. And you thought that you could make it on your own. And you thought that you didn't need God. And that's what the religious leader said. No, we don't need God. I mean, we, don't, we, we love God. I mean, they said it with their lips, but with their lives, they didn't honor God. And, and they just said, here's how you get to heaven. You know, you do all of these laws. Keep all of these laws, all of these commands, and that's what's going to get you into heaven. And Jesus said, you know, you can keep them all, and if you fail in one, just one, one point of the law, then you've broken the law, and that makes us sinners. And that's why Jesus said that Abraham believed God, and because he believed God, that was counted to him as righteousness, his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we need to do today. We need to, I'm asking you to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
you know, you know, maybe some of you are saying that you're not ready to, you know, give up your life or give up control of your life, that you want to control your own life. But I would just ask you, how much more pain, how much more failure, how many more mistakes do you have to go through, you know, before you keep, you're in a cycle, and you just keep repeating the cycle over and over and over again. You are stuck. You're in a rut. And the only difference between a rut and a grave is the depth, Okay. And God does not want you in a rut, and he does not want you in a grave. He wants you in a place where you can honor him and glorify his name and tell others about salvation. And so I want to just share this. I like to just kind of set this up, especially this first one as we're talking about pride. And I want to use an example from the Scriptures about a man that was very proud in the Scriptures and how he fell on his face, how he crashed, how he hit the wall. And that comes from Daniel. You know, uh, and this is the story of about Babylon. Babylon at the time was one of the seven wonders of the world. It was in the great in a great plain. It was had a wall around the city that was almost 22 miles. Imagine this, 22 miles square. That was, that's what made it one of the the seven wonders of the world at that time. Its its height was almost 50 yards high, or excuse me, 50 yards wide and 100 yards high. Now think about that. A football field high and a half of a football field wide. It was wide enough that they could run horses and chariots. Four, uh, four teams of horses and chariots could have races on this wall or down this wall. It was one of the greatest wonders of the world at that time. And Nebuchadnezzar was the king. He was the king. He built this. He built this great city of Babylon. And let me just say this, that, you know, when you hear the word Babylon mentioned in the Bible, uh, Babylon is equated with evil. From the very beginning in Genesis, when the children, or when, the, uh, when, the, when, when men and women begin to fall away from God and turn away from God, they built the Tower of Babel, okay? That's where we get the word Babylon from. And it was Nimrod, was a man that first introduced people to idol worship, not worshiping God, turn away from God, but make yourself something out of silver or gold or wood and bow down and worship that. And God talks about it. Why do you waste your time worshiping things that have eyes but can't see and ears that can't hear? And, and, and there's no life, there's no breath in their nostrils. Why do you waste your time worshiping them? Return to me, God's saying. Return to me. Well, obviously today, uh, most of us do not spend our time worshiping, you know, things that are made with man's hands, okay? But there are other things in life that we do worship. We can worship our jobs. We can worship our hobbies. We can worship the things that we like to do. We can worship, you know, people. Uh, we can worship athletes and, and, and our, you know, make them our heroes. And, and all your life is you think you want to be like a certain model or a certain athlete. This is who I want to be like. God made you to be you. And he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And so as we read in Daniel, and this is the great fall of King Nebuchadnezzar, it says, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, he had a dream. And in this dream, he saw this statue. And the statue was, you know, uh, 90 feet tall. It was a huge statue. And it had a head of bronze and breastplate of silver and then brass and iron and uh, Bronze and iron and uh, uh, iron and clay, and um, 
And Daniel tells him, he has that, once he has the dream, Daniel tells him, he says, you are that head of gold because of all of the kingdoms, this is talking about world kingdoms. He said, of all of the world kingdoms that will ever exist, and there were five of them, he said that, you know, that he said that you are the greatest of, these, of, of those five that he saw in that statue. He said, you're the head of gold, you're the greatest one. And so Nebuchadnezzar makes this thing and wants the children of Israel to come and to worship him. And he is so into himself and so into what he has built, all of these things that he has done. And when he asked Daniel to interpret this vision, this is the response that Daniel has. He says, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, listen to me. Stop sinning. Do what you know is right. Be merciful to the poor. Perhaps even God will spare you. But all these things happened to Nebuchadnezzar 12 months after the dream. He was strolling on the roof of the royal palace and saying, by my own might, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence and as the capital of my empire. And while he was speaking, see, he was so proudful. Everything was about him. I did it all. Look at me. Look at how great I am. I did all of this. Look at it. He says, while he was still speaking these words, a voice called down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of the kingdom. You will be forced out of the palace to live with the animals in the field, to eat grass with the cows for seven years, until you finally realize, until you finally realize that God parcels out the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone that he, that he, God, chooses. In that very hour, this prophecy was fulfilled, and Nebuchadnezzar was chased. He was driven from his kingdom. He was driven from the palace and ate grass like the cows, and his body was wet with dew, and his hair grew long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like that of bird's claws, and at the end of seven years, listen to this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven and my sanity returned. And I praised and I worshiped the Most High God and honored him who lives forever, whose rule is from everlasting. His kingdom is evermore. All the people of the earth are nothing when compared to him. He does whatever he thinks best among the angels of heaven as well as here on earth. And no one can stop him or challenge him saying, what do you mean by doing these things? And when my mind, when my mind returned to me, when my, my pride was laid down, when I humbled myself and I acknowledged that there was a God in heaven and that his way was better than my way, so did my honor and my glory and my kingdom. And my counselors and my officers came back to me and I was reestablished as the head of my kingdom with even greater honor than I had before. That's what pride does. And also you can see what God does. God is a, you know, I don't care how far you've drifted from God, how, how far away you are from him today, I want you to know that with a humble heart that he gives, he gives grace to the humble. And I don't, care, I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. God gives grace to the humble. And Nebuchadnezzar said, when I came to my senses, when I realized that there is a God in heaven who is much, much, much greater than I am, and he's given me another chance. And some of you are here today, 
and you need another chance. And I want to just tell you that God is willing to give you another chance. The second barrier for you coming to be into the place where you know, God wants you to be is guilt. And listen to what David said about guilt. He said, problems too big for me to solve are piled higher than my head. Meanwhile, my sins, too many to count, have all caught up with me, and I'm ashamed to look up. And then he goes on to say, finally, when I held it in, nothing happened. He says, finally, I confessed all my sins to you, and you stopped and, I, and stopped trying to hide my guilt. And I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. See, guilt will hinder you. you know, you're, you're ashamed. You're ashamed of what you've done. And it holds you back. But I'm going to tell you what, there is a freedom knowing that every sin that you've ever committed has been washed and it's by the blood of Jesus. It's under the blood and it's been forgiven. And he sees you as those that are clothed in Revelation. He says they were clothed in the armies that came back with Jesus. They were clothed in white raiment. And that's how Jesus sees us, because of the blood of the Lamb. Isn't he worthy of our praise today? Yes, he is. And the third barrier from you becoming all that God wants you to be, the third thing that will hinder you is fear. And you know, I just need to ask you this question. What are you afraid of losing? Why won't you just give up you know, and give in to God? Let him have the care and control of your life. You know, we, we constantly say this, that I can change any time I want. I can quit anytime I want. Well, let me just tell you that you can't. Because if you could have, you would have. And you can't, so you won't. You need Jesus. And when we humble ourselves and just say, Jesus, this, this thing has got a grip on me. And for some of you, it might be drugs. And for some of you, it might be alcohol. And for some of you, it could be pornography or any of the sexual sins, it's got a grip on you. It's got a hold on you. And Jesus said, I have come to set the captives free. But see, when we try to hide those things, you know, you guys ever take your kids to Chuck E. Cheese? <laughs> they got this thing in there called whack-a-mole. Anybody know what that is? Anybody know what the whack-a-mole is? It's got this little mole that pops up, and you take the hammer and hit it, but as soon as you hit it and knock it down, another one pops up over here. And that's the way that sin is in our life. Just as soon as we think that we got this one down and got it covered, here pops up another one. And that's the way that sin is. And I'm going to just tell you that God's got a bigger hammer than whack-a-mole does. And, and he can wipe them all out and give us the victory. Amen? So when we're, when we're afraid, when we're, when we're living in uh, fear, and we're controlled by all of our habits and all of our hang-ups and all of our hurts and by our guilt and our anger and our sin nature. And when we want to just, you know, we don't want to bring that to God. But listen to what Romans 6, 16 says. Don't you realize that you become a slave of whatever you choose to obey? See, you can obey your flesh. Your flesh just says, yeah, you know, 5 o'clock, it's Miller time somewhere. You know, you've, it's 5 o'clock somewhere, right? You guys have heard that song. I've heard it. 
It's five o'clock somewhere. All right, so don't you realize that you become a slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. And real freedom, real freedom is choosing who you allow to control your life. Now, Dylan said it this way. You know, you got to serve somebody. It might be the devil. It might be the Lord. But you're going to serve somebody. I choose, as Nina said from Deuteronomy 28. Guys, i got to tell you, I love that chapter so much. That is such a great chapter. Read it, read it, and read it again. There's blessing. There's cursing. There's life and there's death. Choose life. Choose God. And the fourth thing that we need to, that is a hindrance to us, is worry. We wake up in the morning, we're worried. But the scripture says that, I am sure, Philippians 1, 6 says, I am sure that God who began a good work within you will keep right on helping you grow in his grace until his task within you is finally finished on that day when Jesus Christ returns. There's no need to worry. God is working in you. He's working in your life. And finally, the last point here in these, these five points that, that are hindrances to us is doubt. And, and this is another one of those beautiful stories. It says, they, they brought a boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, uh, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening, Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into fire and into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean? Listen to this. What do you mean, if I can? What's your problem? What's your sin? What's your struggle? Jesus, help me with my problem, if you can. And he would say, what do you mean? I can see him just kind of chuckling. If I can... If I can, do you know who I am? Look around you. The heavens and the earth declare the glory of God. If I can do that, this is no problem. The Bible says that the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He will quicken. He'll give life to your mortal body. He will help you become an overcomer. Help me if you can. I want to tell you, he can, and he is ready, and he is able, and he is willing today. And so, Jesus said, anything is possible. Listen to this. Anything is possible if a person believes. And the father instantly cried, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Help me overcome my unbelief. You know what I love about that? Is Jesus didn't say, you know, go, Father of the Son, go get some more faith. Go get some more faith. What he said is, the Father said, I'm coming to you with what little faith I have. I've got a little bit of faith. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here this morning, Jesus, is that this demon is tormenting my son. And I've got a little bit of faith. I believe that you can do something. I believe that you can do something. Well, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, he says, I'm going to tell you something. By the way, those of you that know that story, Jesus healed that, that man's son. 
But then he says in Matthew chapter 17, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a grain of mustard seed, the smallest of the seeds that Israeli farmers knew that day, it's not the smallest of the seeds. Scientifically, it's not. But what they were used to, when it came to wheat or barley or corn or any of those things, what they were used to, it was, it was the smallest of all the seeds. And he said, if you have faith as small as a grain of mustard seed, then you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Just what he's saying is just a little bit of faith. And that's what the little boy's father said. I've got a little bit of faith. And Jesus said, that's good enough for me. That's good enough for me. And he heals the little boy. Have you got a little bit of faith this morning? Have you got a little bit of faith this morning? Because Jesus is going to say to you, that's good enough for me. I can deal with the issues. You come to me, and just by the fact that you're coming, and by the fact that you're asking, shows and demonstrates that you've got a little bit of faith, and you want Jesus to do something. So how do I make this choice? We talked about these five choices. And so how do I make make this commitment choice? Well, number one is that, you, you, first of all, you've got to have Jesus as your Lord and the Savior. Um, we talked about Paul, Paul and Silas earlier, and let me just read it again for those of you that may not have been here earlier. The jailer called out for lights. This is in Acts chapter 16. And he rushed in and fell down before Paul and Silas, and then he brought them out and asked them, he said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? And the, uh, Paul and Silas replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your household. The second thing that you need to do is accept God's word, the word of God. You know, it's not reading your horoscope or, or you know, any of the other, you know, cultic stuff that's out there. It reminds me of a story that I'd gone to for years before I was a pastor, 12, 12 or 13 years, I, I went out to the prison or to the jail and to the prisons and I mean, just, you know, Don Aker and myself, a lot of times it was just me. I go there every day. I mean, every Tuesday, walk in there. You hear that jail door closing. I mean, I'm telling you what, it's an eerie sound. But, you know, I mean, these guys would flock in to hear the word of God. I mean, they, they would just come in to hear the word of God. And, um, I mean, it, it, was, it, was, it was just absolutely amazing. You know, they, uh, you know, you know they, they just... You know, we're so so quiet, so humble, so hungry for the word of God. You know, just like Paul and Silas being there in that jail, they wanted to, you know, the, like the jailer, you know, they, they wanted, they, they heard something. And, you know, we talked about this earlier this morning that, you know, at midnight when Paul and Silas were, they were, had been beaten and at midnight they began to worship God and they began to sing songs and they sang so loud it said that the other prisoners heard them, heard their singing, heard their praising God. And it stirred up something with them too as well, I believe, as well as the jailer. And the jailer comes in and, you know, he's like, I want, I want to accept Jesus as my Savior. I want to believe. And so we accept God's word. The second point is we accept God's word as our standard. The Bible says that all scripture is inspired by God. It's useful. I was going to tell you the story about going to the jail. And so I'm, I'm there, and, you know, I mean, it, 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 these guys were raised all, I mean, a lot of them were brought up, you know, in different religions, and some of them brought up with no religion. And, but we got a guy there that, 
His name was Charles Duke, just like the astronaut. And, um, I mean, this guy, I mean, he had an incredible story. Uh, he, I mean, he had a job. He was a contractor. Life was good for him. Um, one day, he was uh, driving out of uh, his driveway, and his little girl that was about three years old wanted to go with him. And he didn't realize it, but she had run around behind the back of the car and tried to climb in the window, and he backed over and killed her. And, uh, um, I mean, it, it just shattered his life, absolutely just shattered his life. And um, he, he turned to drugs and he turned to alcohol, started drinking, lost his job, lost his wife, lost his family, lost everything because of the hurt and the pain that was in his life. Uh, but we came to him one day, and uh, he was very hungry for the gospel. I mean, he was one of the first guys in and, uh, you know, usually one of the last guys out. But we came in one day and, and uh, you know, talking about all the witchcraft and all the sorcery and all the garbage that's out there. He said, uh, yeah, I started uh, reading palms. And I'm like, Charles, dude, I said, that's occulting. Don't do that. Don't read palms, you know. That's of Satan. That's demonic. And he said, well, it's in the Bible. It's one of the books in the Bible. I said, oh, you mean Psalms. <laughs> Psalms. Not palms, Psalms. <laughs> Okay, everything's okay. It's all right, Charles. Keep reading. Keep reading. Keep reading. All right. So you accept God's word as your standard. All scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching and for faith and for correcting error, for resetting the direction of a man's life and training him in good living. You hear that? Listen to this. Let this sink down in your heart. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching and faith and correcting error and for resetting the direction. Some of you need to reset the direction of your life, and God's word can do it, and he will do it. The third thing is that you need to accept God's will as your strategy for living. So it's like I said earlier, God, what do you want me to do? You wake up every morning saying, God, what do you want me to do today? I am living. I got to go to work. I got a job, yes. But is there something along the way that you want me to do? Help my heart to be sensitive to what you want me to do. In Philippians 2.13, we covered this scripture a couple of times in this series, but I want you to hear it again. For it is God himself whose power, God's power, creates within you the desire or the will to do his gracious work and bring about an accomplishment of the desire. Okay? It is God himself whose power creates within you, that's the Holy Spirit, creates within you the desire to do his gracious will. And God's Holy Spirit will give you that desire that I want to do, the things that God wants me to do. I want to leave my old life behind. I see what a mess I've made. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. God has already given us everything that we need. And then the scripture says, I can do everything through Christ who gives me the strength. God has given you the strength. 